Welcome to Endgame, everybody. Hey, let me give a shout out to everybody who's worshiping with us at all six of our campuses. And if you're watching a live stream, man, we're really glad you're here. We're starting a new series this week on the book of 1 Thessalonians. Everybody say Thessalonians. Thessalonians. Man, I want to encourage you to turn there in your Bible right now because we're going to unpack this book verse by verse by verse uh, over the next few weeks. Now, if you don't have a Bible, uh, man, I'll be glad to help you get one. But we have Bibles scattered through all of our worship centers. Uh, if you want to grab that little blue Bible and turn to page 986, uh, man, you'll be right on time and we'll be ready to go. I want to encourage you, though, if you don't have a paper Bible, because y'all watch this now. Still works. Never runs out of batteries. Still works. You know what I'm saying? Get you a bound Bible like this. Bring it with you. I, you know, if you're using a digital Bible, that's fine with me. I, that doesn't bother me. I just want to encourage you to get a, a version of the Bible you can read, uh, like the New International Version, which I'm preaching out of today, or the New Living Testament, which actually says that Jesus was the original Avenger. Right. Right. And if you don't believe it, look it up for yourself. It's right there in the Bible, all right? It's right there in the Bible. But, I, I, you know, as you know, uh, just over a month ago, right, a month after Easter, the movie Endgame came out, which was the most lucrative movie in history. Now, part of this is because, like every successful movie, the writers of this script tried to find a redemptive spiritual theme that would connect with people's heart. And then they wrote this crazy fantasy, you know, cartoon superhero uh, story based on that theme. And they got that idea, they got that principle from Jesus' parables, which are without question the most read and the best known stories in the world. By the way, this is why we're going to do another series called At the Movies later on this summer. Uh, man, I hope you enjoyed it last year. I hope you'll invite everybody you know to come and worship with us this year. Yeah, man, let's thank God. Thank God. We're going to take stories that our culture loves, just like Jesus did, and we're going to show folks the spiritual reason why we love those stories. And this is going to be an amazing opportunity to reach people who don't know the Lord yet. Uh, so I want to encourage you to all start inviting your ones right now. This thing's going to be huge. But this in-game movie was so popular because it had a messianic theme. Everybody say messianic. messianic. In that series of movies, judgment had come down like an anvil in the movie they released April 2018. And the only hope for the world was as if a messianic figure could arise and lay their life down in an all-out effort to save the world. Does this sound familiar to anybody? I'm telling you, man, the Bible has provided all of the great plots for all the great stories in our world. Now, these movie makers did a great job of portraying the mindless violence and persecution, the heartbreak, the discouragement that just broke over all the characters in that movie like a tidal wave. It was actually a pretty good illustration of how brutal it is to have to face the end with no hope. And that is exactly the setting of the book of 1 Thessalonians. Friends, the core message of 1 Thessalonians is be encouraged. Dude, a, the good news is that a messianic figure did come and he made an all-out effort to save our world. The great news is he's coming back. The awesome news is you're going to see him soon. You're going to see him soon. Now, friends, discouragement is one of the greatest weapons the devil uses to try to crush the hearts of people in our world. He'll use lies to discourage you. You're too fat. You're not enough. You're too ugly. You're a failure. You're not going to make it. Lies. They're all lies. But they can be very discouraging if you let yourself believe them. 
Man, the devil will use circumstances to discourage you. Job problems, family problems, money problems, romance problems, cultural problems. Think about how discouraging the political division in our country is today. Think about how discouraging the racial division is in our nation today. Friends, last Monday was Memorial Day. And Sheriff Steve Sykes of Liberty County, who is a compassionate Christian, who goes to our Midway campus, told me that in 2018, 15 soldiers died in the line of duty fighting all over the world. 15. And 163 police officers died in the line of duty right here in America. Three of them in our community. I'm telling you, man, in times like these, it is really easy for people, even followers of Jesus, to get discouraged, which is why I am so excited that we're going to be spending the next few weeks teaching our way through the book of 1 Thessalonians because this is a great book of encouragement. Paul actually says in chapter 4, therefore encourage one another with these words. Now let me tell you where this got started. In Acts chapter 17, we read the story of the Apostle Paul on his second missionary journey going to the nation of Greece, to the Greek city of Thessalonica, which is called Thessaloniki today, on his second missionary journey. Now Sarah and I are going to take a group of compassionate Christians on a pilgrimage to Thessaloniki next year. Uh, it's going to be a spiritual defining moment for us all. Love to have you join us if you can. But Paul began his ministry in Thessalonica teaching in the Jewish synagogue where a number of Jewish people heard about the resurrection of Jesus, and man, they believed it, and they responded by putting their faith in Christ, and they were baptized into Christ. Hallelujah, amen? amen. That's not what everybody in Thessalonica was saying. Dude, not everybody in Thessalonica was excited about that. Matter of fact, cultural opposition became so intense that Paul had to leave the city because of the threat of persecution. It wasn't like he was running away because he's scared. He got out of town because if he stayed, people would get killed. And so he went to Athens, and then he went to Corinth. And you can read all about that in, first, in the book of Acts in chapter 17. Consequently, he leaves behind in Thessaloniki some really new and some really inexperienced believers. And he got so concerned about these new believers in this new church that in chapter 2, it says that he sent his buddy Timothy. Now, Thessalonica is up here. Uh, Athens is over here. Corinth is over here. Uh, if you go with me on this trip, we're going to have a cup of coffee right here. Just, just saying, all right? But anyway, Paul is down here writing this letter. And so he sends his buddy over here, sails back around to Thessalonica, Timothy, to figure out what in the world's going on, just to see what's happening. And then in chapter 2, Tim, uh, Timothy comes back and tells Paul, dude, you are not going to believe how strong these jokers are. And so in, in 51 AD, Paul sits down to write a letter to the church at Thessalonica, and he wants to encourage them to be faithful in spite of persecution and, then, and, and all the discouraging stuff that was just happening in their lives right now. So Paul is pulling for these folks. He says in chapter 5, verse 11, therefore encourage one another and build each other up just in, as in fact you are doing right now. Guys, keep your heads up. You're doing great. Now, I like this letter because it's a reminder that our faith can empower us to stay encouraged regardless of the circumstances you're facing right now. So over the next few weeks, we're going to unpack several sources of encouragement for people like us in the book of 1 Thessalonians. But in chapter 1, Paul directs us to the primary source of encouragement for a follower of Jesus in discouraging times, and it is your church. It's your church. Now, look what Paul says about the Thessalonian church in verses 2 and 3. Now, if you're doing the New Testament challenge with me, and I hope you are, you know, we're, we're going to read through the whole New Testament twice this year. We're doing two chapters a day, five days a week, taking the weekend off or catching up. Uh, and if you started and, and dropped out, man, drop back in. 
uh, just start reading the book of First Thessalonians. We started there this week. I'm, po I'm posting the verse that hits me uh, every day on Instagram, and I'd love to have you uh, just join me in that. But I posted verses 2 and 3 on Monday. Now, verse 1 uh, is the address. Hey, uh, here's who's writing this book, uh, Paul, Silas, and Timothy. All three of them, but we're going to talk about Paul mostly, but the letter came from all three of these missionaries. Who's it going to? The church in Thessalonica. Here's what Paul says in verse 2. We always thank God for you, mentioning you in our prayers. We're thankful and we're praying for you. We continually remember before our God and Father your work that is produced by faith, your labor that is prompted by love, your endurance that is inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Paul is obviously impressed with this church because these guys are strong. He appreciates their faith that's based on the truth that they learned in the past when he was there. He's impressed with their labor that's compelled by their love that's happening right here in the present. And he's impressed by their hope that is based on the promise that Jesus is going to return in the future. And we're going to talk about that in just a couple of weeks. But friends, don't miss this. God wants to provide an incredible source of encouragement for you if, everybody say if, you will be an active part of the local church. Now, we all know unhealthy churches can be devastating to people. Many of us have been there, and if you have, just go, mm-hmm. <laughs> Friends, we also know that a healthy church can be an amazing source of encouragement. So let's see why Paul was so encouraged by the church in Thessalonica, and let's pray that God will reproduce that kind of encouraging environment right here at Compassion Christian. Number one, encouraging churches proclaim the gospel in life-changing ways. Now, friends, Paul spent three weeks or maybe as long as three months in Thessalonica before he got out of town. Now think about that. He went to that city. There was no church. Three months later, there's a thriving church left behind. Look at verse four. He says, we know, brothers, loved by God, that God has chosen you because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power and with the Holy Spirit and with deep conviction. Now, Paul tells these believers that they were chosen by God when they accepted the gospel. Who has God chosen to save in this world? He has chosen to save everybody who hears the gospel and puts their faith in Jesus has been chosen by God for salvation. Paul talks about this in Romans chapter 10. Faith comes by hearing and hearing comes by the word of God. Man, God chooses, he elects to save everybody who chooses to put their faith in Jesus. Now think about what that means. That means the gospel is good news and it's bad news and it's more good news and it's great news. The gospel is good news. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Friends, you were created by the intentional purpose of a God who knows you, loves you, made you just the way you are, chose you and chose to send a messianic figure to save you. Dude, you are not some random evolutionary product who accidentally showed up on this rock with no innate sense of right or wrong, no purpose in life, no eternal identity, no eternal destiny. You are here on purpose for a purpose and every individual life is known by the God who created it. And that's the good news of the gospel. But the gospel is also bad news because all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and he ain't kidding about that. Friends, our sin has severed our relationship with a loving God who created us. I don't have to tell you that your heart is sometimes rebellious and selfish and sinful. Do I? 
I don't have to tell you that. I don't have to tell you that sometimes you find yourself spiritually disoriented and confused. Sometimes you find yourself floundering around in life like you don't have eternal guardrails that were set by God, absolutes that were taught you by God. And just look at our world. I mean, look at your world. You can see the effect that selfishness and that rebellion creates. And let me tell you, your future without Jesus in eternity will be much worse. And that's the bad news. But then there's more good news. God loved us in spite of our sins, and he reached out in love to restore us to himself. That's why Jesus said in John 3, 16, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him, whoever believes in that messianic character who came to save the world will not perish, but will have everlasting life, eternal life. Now this means that God loves us too much to allow us to just drift into a meaningless eternity. God came as a messianic figure, Jesus, and paid for our sins by dying on the cross. And he offers us forgiveness today because he rose from the dead. And then there's even great news, and that is that that salvation is absolutely free. You can't earn it. You'll never deserve it. But you can receive it when you put your faith in Jesus. Romans 6, 23 says, the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Anybody want to say amen? amen? Now, you were not chosen by God because you go to church. You were not chosen by God because you do good, lots of good works or you give lots of money or you do right things. You were chosen to receive eternal life as a gift because when you heard the gospel, you chose to put your faith in Jesus. And this gift is offered to you not because you deserve it, but because your creator is a gracious, amazing God. You know, I heard a story this week about a, a church group that was on a tour somewhere and their bus caught on fire. And so the driver pulls the bus over to the side of the road and I mean, smoke starts filling the bus and because the bus was on fire, the hydraulic system failed and they couldn't get the door open. And the tour guide was convinced she needed to open that door and she kicked that door so hard she broke her foot. But she got the door open and everybody got off the bus safely and there were no other, other injuries, thank God. But imagine if somebody was sleeping on that bus and it starts burning and filling up with smoke and then somebody notices they're asleep and they need to wake them up and give them the bad news and the good news. The bad news is, dude, you sleeping on a bus that is on fire and filling with smoke and it's going to kill you if you don't respond. The good news is a way of escape has been provided for you, not because of anything you have done, but because of somebody else's injury. And when you go to wake that sleeper up, you know what? They might not want to be woke up. They might not want to be disturbed. They might not want to wake up and see the danger and get out of there. But if they do, they'll be grateful forever for the great news that they were saved because of somebody else's sacrifice. Now, friends, the gospel is like that. It begins with bad news. Everybody has a sin problem that is ruining your life and separating you from God. Amen. Amen. But the good news is that Jesus provided a way to be saved at the cost of his own life. Now let me tell you, when somebody is spiritually asleep, they don't want to wake up. <laughs> they don't want to wake up. They don't want to have a conversation about sin. They don't want to talk to you about death. They don't even want to hear about it because that news is disturbing. But the truth is that they don't wake up. They will be trapped in a condemned world without hope. That's why Paul told the Christians in Rome, the hour for you to wake up from your slumber has come. Because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. Bro, it's the end game. Wake up. 
So an encouraging church is one where teaching the gospel in life-changing ways is just a priority. Man, Paul says in, in, in 1 Thessalonians 1, 4 and 5, look at it, it's right here in your text. We know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you not because, not because our gospel came not simply with words, but also with power and with the Holy Spirit and with deep conviction. Now, Paul says in verse 5 that the gospel changes lives when it's preached in power and not just words. That's not talking about louder. It's talking about power. Now, let's be honest. We've all been to churches where we heard the gospel and it wasn't very encouraging. And it didn't really change anything. In fact, it seemed irrelevant and boring. And we wondered whether the preacher believed it himself. But Paul identifies three differences between just mouthing the words and preaching with power. He says, first of all, when the gospel is preached with the power of the Holy Spirit, it makes a difference. Everybody say Holy Spirit. Holy now friends, this is an intangible dynamic that you will recognize at every encouraging church. But it's a little hard to define. But I'll tell you, perceptive people can tell over a period of time if the Holy Spirit is operational in this church or if we just get together once a week to go through the motions. Because, bro, when the Holy Spirit is empowering the preaching of the gospel, it is relevant. People get convicted. Man, have you ever been to church and you heard a message and you thought, that joker's talking to me? I'm telling you, somebody, has he bugged my house? I mean, how does he know what's going on in my life? How does he know what's going on in my house? He doesn't, but the Holy Spirit does. And the Holy Spirit brings that message right down to where you live. If you've ever had that happen, go, mm-hmm. Now listen, every week we see people come forward at the end of the message, and there are hundreds of people who do not come forward, but brother, they walk out of here determined to do something different because they believe they have heard from the Holy Spirit. Now, if you want to know what to pray when you're on the way to church here, why don't you pray that the Holy Spirit will speak to your pastor today? Amen? Amen? That's what we should be praying. Because, man, when the gospel is preached in the power of the Holy Spirit, Paul says people get hit. I mean, little kids can understand it. Little children are moved by it. Paul also says the gospel has power when it's preached with deep conviction. Everybody say conviction. conviction. You know, one of the things I love about this church, you'll figure this out if you come here very long. People in this church actually believe this stuff is true. They actually believe this is true. It's not something we talk about at church and then we live any way we want to the rest of the week. There are people who actually believe the gospel is true and are sometimes moved by it. Not every sermon every week, but sometimes they are moved by it. So much so that they refuse to negotiate on it. Even if the culture hates us because we won't negotiate. And bro, neither did the church in Thessalonica. You read this letter. This is a healthy, encouraging church that was born and grew up under persecution because the gospel was challenging the idolatry and the sexual impurity of that Thessalonian culture. Man, some of their church leaders were actually arrested because they wouldn't shut up because they taught the truth. And even though they were taking their leaders off in handcuffs, the church continued to thrive. I'll tell you the fastest way to kill a church, kill a denomination, Teach it to just cower away from the deep convictions and the hard teachings of Jesus so that maybe we can make the, the gospel more palatable to our dying world. The Thessalonian church refused to do that. And strong churches in coastal Georgia feel the same way. Amen? Amen. Powerful preaching is also based on integrity. Everybody say integrity. Amen. I mean, look at verse 5. He says, you know how we lived when we were among you for your sake? You watched us. You ate with us. You know how we live, bro. 
know, I know a pastor uh, who is a pastor of one of the largest churches in America. And he'd been overseas on this ministry trip. And so he's got this long flight home and they had some bad weather and there are many delays. And so, you know, when he finally got through customs, you know, it's after midnight and he gets to the baggage thing and his bags didn't even show up. So now he's got to walk all the way out to the lost bag counter and he's dead tired and he's standing in line behind a hundred other people, you know, and they only got one airline lady working. And so everybody's thinking, look, how long does the line have to be before we bring somebody else here and put them to work, Right. And so people just getting ticked off and they're getting put out. And when he finally got up to the desk, he was tired and aggravated like everybody else. But then in a moment of sanity, he thought, you know, this is not her fault. She's doing the best she can. So I want to try and be patient. And he was patient as he, you know, filled out the form and told her, what, told her what his home address is. And when he got all finished up, she said, so do you want the bags delivered to your home or do you want me to send them to church? He's like, what? She said, yeah, I go to your church. Thanks for being so patient. <laughs> and he's thinking, whoo, close, <laughs> close, right? Because, you know, sometimes, man, when you see people up close, it's a little disappointing. You wouldn't have been disappointed if you seen the Apostle Paul up close. He says right here, man, you know how we lived. You know how we lived when we were among you for your sake? There are no glaring discrepancies between the way we walk and the way we talk. Nobody's perfect. Nobody claimed to be. But you know we were real when we were among you. And the fact that he lived his message gave his message integrity. Man, William Barclay says a man's message will always be heard in the context of his character. And sister, that is just as true of you as it is of me, as it was of the Apostle Paul. So man, if a church wants to proclaim a life-changing gospel, it's got to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. And there's got to be deep convictions. And they've got to be backed up by integrity and if you've ever been in a church that really disappointed you, you know it was because they lacked one of those things. But let me tell you something else it could have lacked that's even more convicting. If a church is going to have an encouraging impact in the community, it doesn't need just powerful teaching. Encouraging churches receive the gospel with joy. Look at verse 6. You became imitators of us and of the Lord in spite of severe suffering you guys welcome the message with joy as it was given by the Holy Spirit. Now, you know, there are some congregations that don't receive the message with much joy. I was off one weekend, and sometimes when I'm off and I'm not somewhere else, I like to just go to somebody else's church because I like to pray for the pastors in town and pray for the other churches in town. And you know, what we need is 100 Compassion Christians in Savannah and outlying areas. Amen. I mean, we need 100 churches like this. And so I go so I can pray for the pastor and pray for those guys. And so I walked in, you know, and sat down. And the pastor recognized me. And he called me up and he introduced me to everybody. He wanted me to say a few words. And I had told this funny story here the week earlier. And you guys very graciously pretended it was funny, I guess. I don't know. And so I thought, I'll tell that story and kind of break the ice here. And I told that story. <laughs> Crickets. Nothing. Everybody sitting there like this, staring at me, arms folded, no response. I knew they were there because I could hear them breathing every now and then. <laughs> but you know what? I, I look at those folks and I thought, when the Lord Jesus returns, this is the church where I want to be. Because you know the Bible says the dead in Christ will rise first, and this is going to be the first troop out. <laughs> this is going to be the first. going to be the first group out of here, boy. I want to be right here, right? Now, can I just say, everybody I invite to come preach here loves our church. They love to preach at our church because you receive the message with such joy. 
Man, you love God's word. And let me tell you, it's exciting to preach at a church where people love God's word. But I mean, you've got to know, not every church is like this. You go to some churches and people are bickering and, and, and they're complaining because of legalism or liberalism or pride. Or some people got their little arms folded because they're so skeptical of the truth. Or, or they're, you know, arrogantly sitting in church like, you know, they're the spiritual rotten tomatoes guys ready to give the thumbs down if the sermon's not a home run. And friends, that not only makes it more difficult for the guy who's bringing the message, it makes it harder for the newcomer to receive the message as well. Listen, man, people walk in these doors sometimes really needing a word from the Lord. And if they sit down by people who are distracting each other or rattling candy papers or playing with a phone or dozing, they get the impression that what's happening here is not that important. But apparently, one reason the Thessalonian church was an encouraging environment is because they received the message with joy. Look at look what Paul says in verse 6. You became imitators of us and of the Lord. Now, isn't that how it usually works? You know, you meet some encouraging believer like Paul or you, and then that friend leads them to a life-changing relationship with Jesus. Listen, that's the mission statement of our church. That's what we mean when we say Compassion Christian exists. The reason we're here is to lead people to a life-changing relationship with Jesus. Man, people come to this church because they're looking for spiritual leadership. They're looking to you for spiritual leadership. Let's give them some. Amen? Amen. You know, one of my favorite stories, you probably heard this before, was told by J. Wallace Hamilton. It's about a kid who went off to college. And you know how it is. You go off to college, you get spiritually sideways, make all the wrong friends, you know, get this spiritual drift. Next thing you know, you're doubting your faith. His faith is hanging on by a thread. And he just decided he would go visit this church. And when he walked out of that church, man, he was pumped up. He was ready to walk with the Lord. His whole attitude changed and had nothing to do with the sermon. He looked over and he saw his chemistry professor in church. And when they said for the morning prayer, that chemistry professor bowed his head and engaged in that prayer. And at the end of the prayer, he said, amen. And it was just a little thing. But that student is watching this old man pray. And he's thinking, man, if his faith with all of his intelligence, is that real for him? Man, my faith is real too. And the example of that professor inspired that kid and he didn't even know it. That professor had no idea of the impact he had on one of his students that day. In fact, that professor may have left church that morning thinking, you know what, I didn't get a thing out of that sermon today. But you know what he did? He encouraged somebody else because he engaged. Mission accomplished, right? I mean, it's not all about us. I mean, you may think sometime when you come in here, that message didn't do a thing for me. But I tell you what, if your son is watching you or some friend from work that you don't even know here is here is watching you and they lock in because you're locked in. Mission accomplished, right? Maybe you don't like to sing. We worship so much at that church. I'm just staying out in the lobby until the worship's over. You're a knucklehead if that's your attitude. All right, I'm just saying. But, but, but listen, you don't have to like it. You have been taught that worship is a humbling thing and it's important for your spiritual growth. And so we come in here and we throw our heart in the ring whether we like singing or not. And man, if your daughter watches that and your example stamps a value on her heart and encourages her faith, right. mission accomplished, right? Amen. I mean, this is why in Hebrews 10 it says, let us not give up meeting together as some people are in the habit of doing, but man, let us encourage one another and all the more as we see the day approaching. What day? The end day, bro. This is the end game. You know, a friend of ours <coughs> told my Sarah this week, 
that when she was a little girl, she didn't even know they had church in the summer. <laughs> she thought it was like school because her parents didn't go at all in the summer, just took the summer off. What in the world does that teach your kids about your faith? I mean, come on, man. You're not going to spend the summer worshiping the creation instead of the creator, are you? I mean, come on, man. This stuff matters. So let me give you some practical ways that you can receive the message with joy. And dude, you can be an encouragement to other people. I would encourage you to come here with a spirit of anticipation. Come here with a spirit of anticipation, man. Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, and they will be filled. Who are the people who will be filled when they come to church? The people who are hungry for it. They're looking for it. Man, when you get out of your car in the parking lot, just say, okay, Lord, I'm here. I'm here for you. This is not about me. I'm here for you. What do you want me to learn? Who do you want me to serve today? Is there anybody you want me to speak to walking in out of the parking lot before I even get to the building? Lord, I'm looking forward to see you do something today. What are you going to do today? Man, if you come to church with your eyes open and your heart open, man, God is here. Come with that sense of expectation that something's going to happen today. I want to encourage you to bring your Bible and open it up. Mark it up. Mark it up, man. Underline the verses that hit you. Uh, underline, put a question mark by the, the, the verses you need to ask somebody a question about. I want to encourage you to listen actively. I've had people tell me that they listen better with their eyes closed. <laughs> really? I'll tell you something else you do better with your eyes closed. You drool better with your eyes closed too. Can I just tell you? And you know what? I mean, really, if you do listen better with your eyes closed, if you're sitting here with your eyes closed and your head buried in your hand and you're staring off into space, nobody around you is encouraged by that. Do they think you spaced out? Friends, listening is an art. Mastering that art will bless every relationship in your life. I know our culture has a short attention span. This is a great place to practice focusing, focusing your attention. I want to encourage you to respond to the message while it's being delivered. And can I just tell you, you guys are great about this. You guys are awesome. You know who's really awesome? The campuses that get this message on video. Dude, I love you guys. You guys throw your heart in the ring every week. If I say raise your hand, you raise your hand. When I ask you to speak, you speak at all the campuses. You guys are awesome. And I just want to encourage you to keep it up. Stay engaged. You know, some people will say amen when they hear something that resonates with them, which I think is fantastic. Amen means True. Some people, when they hear something they believe in, they nod because they're not very vocal. Some people go, mm-hmm. Some people say, that's right. Some people see a baptism and go, way to go, smile, laugh. Dude, anything that communicates that you're tracking, that you're involved, that you agree is a good thing. I want to encourage you to recognize the different moments in our service. You know, Solomon said there's a time for everything there is a season for every activity under heaven. There's a time to weep and there's a time to laugh. There's a time to mourn. There's a time to dance. There's a time to be silent. Bro, there's a time to speak up. I know some people come to our church and they don't like clapping. They don't like all the clapping <laughs> because they grew up in a, a liturgical church that taught them that being reverent means being quiet. They think that clapping is worldly. It's like throwing a bone to the singer or throwing a bone to the speaker or something like that. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says, clap your hands, all you nations, shout to God with cries of joy. Apparently, God enjoys it. I don't know about you, but God seems to enjoy it. You know, some people, some people clap at the end of the song, and, and I hope we can get straight on this. When you clap at the end of a song, you're not saying, way to go, worship team, you killed it, great song. What a swing that big axe up there, bro. Nice bass. 
That's not why we clap at the end of Psalms. When we clap at the end of Psalms, what we're saying is, yes, yes, I agree. I believe that. I believe that's true. I believe the God of ages did step down from glory and wear my sin and shame. I believe the grave has no claim on me. Jesus is the victory. Amen. That's what we clap for. We clap in agreement with the truth of God. Not that there would be anything wrong with encouraging the guys who brought you the truth, but that's not why we clap. It's a way of saying yes, yes, yes. You know, our students taught us to clap for baptisms because they went off to church camp and somebody told them that, every, that Jesus said every time a sinner repents, there is great rejoicing in heaven. And their question was, why don't we join the party? <laughs> like, that's like a good idea to me. And we've been clapping for every baptism ever since. I've had people tell me that I don't like the way y'all laugh so much at your church. <laughs> and I was like, well, not everybody does, <laughs> okay? Uh, I mean, even though Solomon said there's a time to laugh, even though Nehemiah said the joy of the Lord is our strength, you know, Proverbs 17, 22 says, a cheerful heart is like good medicine, but a crushed spirit dries up the bones. You've been to churches like that, haven't you? Where it felt like the bones are dried up in here? You know, Rick Monroe and I, Rick's one of our elders, Hey, this is Rick right here. Uh, Rick is one of our elders. He and I were on an airplane uh, coming back from Atlanta the other day. And uh, I didn't know he was going to be on the plane. He didn't know I was going to be on the plane. And so we literally sat right across from each other. And he told me about another couple that we both knew that were on the airplane. And that, that husband and that couple was having a terrible battle of cancer. And so when we landed in Savannah, man, we, we ran them down in the concourse and we connected with them. And, you know, we visited a little bit and we laughed a little bit. And then I asked him about the cancer and we grieved a little bit. And then we laid hands, we just, we just joined hands with them, and we prayed for that guy at gate 11 at SAV. You know why? Because there's a time to mourn, and there's a time to laugh, and there's a time to pray, and sometimes all three help each other. I mean, look at what Paul says in verse 6. In spite of severe suffering, isn't it crazy that it was in the midst of severe suffering that they welcomed the message with joy? Because that joy was given by the Holy Spirit. Man, there is a joy present in that church that was given by the Holy Spirit even as they were going through a time of great, severe suffering. Now, when Solomon says there's a time to weep and there's a time to laugh, that means there's a time to celebrate, amen? amen. And there's a time to be quiet, amen? amen? You know, a couple years ago, we shared the testimony of a friend of mine, Helen Campbell, who is a godly saint that goes to our East Campus. And she shared the story of how she spiritually worked through the, the torture and murder of her daughter and granddaughter and eventually surrendered her grief to God and came to a place where she prayed that those murderers would repent and be forgiven of that sin. And when that testimony was over, you could hear a pin drop in this place. And that's how it should have been because we were in the presence of greatness. God had done a miracle of grace in that woman's life. It was an awesome moment. Communion is that way. Communion is that moment of solitude that we have in every service where it's personal. It's between you and the Lord. Now, you know, the music drops down really low. It's a breath in our service so that you can have a quiet moment between you and Jesus. Sometimes we do a song that will, you know, direct your heart toward the Lord. Sometimes we just play quietly so that you can 
examine yourself without distraction. You can reflect on the great love that his death represents. You know, there are different moments in every worship service. And you want to learn to recognize them. I also want to encourage you to pray for opportunities as the message ends. You know, in my home church, <clears throat> our preacher had a habit. When he got to the end of the sermon, he would say, now, as I bring this to a close, and he did that every week about two minutes before the end of the sermon. And when he said that, I mean, bam, Bible started closing. Women started grabbing their purse. Program started rattling paper. People were moving around like this. And my dad would lean over to me and say, listen to this. The Philistines are getting ready to break camp. <laughs> you know, <I'm> like... <laughs> And you know, man, we, we end our services different, in different ways at different campuses. But friends, if you want this church to be an encouragement to you and to everybody else, one way is to just stay engaged all the way to the end. Dude, some people are making the biggest decision of their lives in the last minutes of our service. What should we do? Pray for them? or try to beat the Baptist to the cracker barrel walking out in the middle of the invitation time. I mean, good night, man. Let's be sensitive to the fact that the Holy Spirit has been working since they got out of the car. Some people are under the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Do you realize how blessed we are to get to see people make commitments to Jesus almost every service when people are battling with the evil one for their life? If they look around, let them see you praying. Let them see you pulling for them as you sing and you pray. Amen? Amen. Man, David said, I was glad. <laughs> I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. And Paul said, I thank God for you. I thank God for you because you welcomed the message of the gospel with joy and the Holy Spirit. And man, that was an encouragement to everybody. Now, here's one last thought. <laughs> All right. <laughs> you know, encouraging churches see the gospel produce life-changing outcomes. Look at what Paul says in verse 7. You guys are an example. You're a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia, that's Greece, and then down where Corinth is. The Lord's message rang out from your church, not just in Macedonia and Achaia. I mean, that's Greece and Corinth. That's the whole country. Your faith in God has become known everywhere. This church is not just a receiver of the gospel. Bro, it is a transmitter of the gospel as well. You know, when a church starts focusing on itself, ah, it's so discouraging. You know, when you meet, you go to a church, it's all about us, it's what we want, it's the music we like. Dude, that kind of spiritual narcissism is deadly. And it's an occupational hazard for people who've been in faith a long time. But this church at Thessalonica, no. They stayed on mission. They were committed all the way through to sharing the message about, you know, the resurrected Jesus with other people. Man, they're reaching out. In, in verse 8, that Greek word that's translated rang out refers to the blasting of a trumpet. There's a clear call, a clear signal, purposeful. They were drawing people's attention. And let me tell you, that message was not just ringing out in Thessalonica. It, it was gaining a hearing beyond their walls, beyond their community, in their region, their country, around the world. I mean, you've got to know our church is just like that. You know, one of my buddies showed me on Tuesday night an app on his phone, and here's what he showed me. He says, here is my wife and I right here in Savannah. Here is my 14-year-old daughter in Ecuador on a mission trip. Here is my 17-year-old son on a mission trip in Poland. Dude, that's awesome. 
That's awesome. Now, they could be spending that money going to Hawaii. They could go to the Virgin Islands on that money. I mean, they could buy another couch with it. But you know what's happening? Those kids are learning that we're going to ring the gospel out. We're going to ring it out from right here. Now, do you know why Compassion Christians do this? It's the same reason the Thessalonians did it. The gospel had changed their lives. It's changed our lives. Look at verse 8. He said, I don't even need to talk about it. For everybody is telling how you turn from God. You turn to God from idols. And you people serve the living and true God. You know the most effective kind of outreach is what John Stott calls rumor evangelism. And that's when talking about the Lord is so natural for you that people overhear it when they're around you. And you're a part of a church that's doing so much, making so much of a difference in the city that people are asking, what in the world's going on over there? What are you doing over there? I can't tell you how many people have ended up at our lighthouse or ended up at one of our campuses because a cop or somebody in the community told them compassion is the church that helps people. If you need help, that's, that's the church that helps people. But you've got to know the rumors about encouraging churches are not always positive. Amen? <laughs> They're not always, hey, the rumors in Thessalonica caused a riot. I mean, you reach Acts 17, they started arresting people. They said, hey, these men who have turned the world upside down, they've come here too. And they say stuff like that about us. Man, I'm so thankful for the godly legislators in Georgia who passed the heartbeat bill. I hope you will. Yeah, praise the Lord, man. Listen, <clears throat> I hope you will contact your representative, write them, call them, tell them where you go to church, thank them for being so bold and turning upside down these horrible abortion laws that have recently been passed in New York and Virginia. I'm proud of our guys. But you know, there are Hollywood directors who are saying, we ain't working in Georgia. We ain't making no more movies in Georgia. They're too intense about the sanctity of life. So be it. Friends, that's how it will be until the church dies. As long as the church is alive and making a difference, we're going to be rubbing some folks the wrong way. You know, somebody told Billy Sunday one time, he said, you know, Mr. Sunday, uh, you rub the fur on the cat the wrong way. He said, turn the cat around. <laughs> <You know? laughs> that's not bad advice, right? This has got to be a place where we stand on God's word with as much love as we can, but we stand on the truth. My prayer is that like the church in Thessalonica, we'll be the kind of church where when people are looking for the truth of God and the love of God, they'll come here because people have been talking about us. Amen? Father, thank you. Thank you, Father, for this opportunity to unpack this passage of scripture. And Lord, I can't wait for the rest. I mean, chapter one is just such an awesome description of an encouraging church in, Lord, that end game, in that time of persecution, in that time of, of discouragement. And yet the church was where people went to be encouraged and blessed and healed and saved. And I pray, God, that our church will be that way as well. And we pray this in the strong name of Jesus and all God's people said, Amen, <clears throat> amen, amen. amen.